Thank you, Chloe. That was beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much. Whatever we face, giants, problems, pain or shame, whatever we face, the Lord is with us and will carry us through and give us strength. Well, we are going through the book of uh, John, the Gospel of John, verse by verse. And we have the promise that if we do so, and with open hearts, we will grow in our faith. And so we're calling it, as you see, a journey of faith. Today we come to chapter 8. It begins with the story of the woman taken in adultery that was brought before the Lord Jesus in the temple on a certain morning. Um, with that said, let's pick, up, let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 8. Verse, by the way, verse 53, the last verse in chapter 7 said that everybody went to their own house. And then verse 1 says, and Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. Verse 2, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together today. Make it profitable, I pray. We love you. We praise you. We need you. We need to hear from you. Encourage our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've mentioned several times during this uh, uh, time of coronavirus that many people are coming to Christ through websites of evangelism and uh, in great numbers more so than in normal times and so it is the stress of of these difficult days that is uh, that is squeezing people to Christ one of those particular uh, websites is the Billy Graham uh, Association Evangelistic Association of course, headed up now by his son, Franklin Graham. And uh, uh, Franklin sent out a note online back a couple of weeks ago. And uh, he says in this note, it's not uncommon to have 200 people at any given moment on, this, on his, just his website, not counting the other ones, 200 people at any given moment that are searching to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ searching online. People from the Sudan, from Brooklyn, New York, Columbia, Bataan, all over the world. So in April, just with the Evangelistic Association, in April, 14,000 indicated that they had trusted Christ as Savior, prayed to receive Christ. What a beautiful, beautiful thing that is. And then he gave us one. If you look back at your screen, he gave us one example of that 14,000 in one month. A police officer by the name of David, 48 years old. 
And David, David got sick, was afraid he had coronavirus. He'd been on the force for 20 years, and he found the Billy Graham Association website. He found it by asking Siri. You know, Siri, the, the uh, digital person we talk to in our phones and computers, he asked Siri the question, how can I be saved? And Siri took him to a, a website where he could talk with someone uh, by text, by messaging. And so he went on this website and he told the lady on the other end named Gloria, he said, I'm struggling with faith, I'm quoting now, and with everything that's going on, he said. And uh, then he told her that he was sick and was being tested for the coronavirus himself. Gloria asked him, where do you find your peace? Where do you look to find your peace? And he said, I look within myself. Gloria said, I understand that, but the problem is sometimes we become very anxious and very fearful ourselves. She talked about finding peace through Jesus Christ. And then he went on to say he'd been a, he had been away from God for a long time, and he explained his idea of, of being a Christian or a believer was doing good things. And, uh, but now that he was sick, he felt like doing good things was not enough. And so Gloria went over the gospel with him and shared that all of us are sinners and we all deserve punishment, but that the Lord Jesus took our place and died on the cross for us. She shared with him John 3.16, and when she got to John 3.16 and read it to him, he said, oh yeah, I'm familiar with that. And then he explained the reason he was familiar with it because he had seen people holding signs at football games. The big sign sometimes has John 3.16 on it. At football games. A 48-year-old man living in America all of his life, a police officer. And the most he knew about the Bible was what he had seen on a sign at a football game. Well, that is sad, isn't it? But that's, this was the case. And so eventually, he trusted Christ as Savior and was wonderfully saved. Sins forgiven, heaven as his home, and the peace that passeth all understandings. David, it was the tragedy, the fear that brought him to that place. In our story today, we have someone else who came to that place. And in her case, it wasn't just pain or difficulty, it was shame as well. And uh, we pick up the story in chapter 8. Verse 20, you don't have to turn there, but in verse 20 it tells us this took place in the temple, but that it also took place in a certain room in the temple where the treasury was, where people gave their, uh, uh, gave their money. 
more technically, it was called the Court of Women. And it was called the Court of Women because that's as far as the women of Israel could go, was that particular court. Jesus could have gone to the next court and he would have had only men. But it's wonderful how Jesus loved uh, women in his ministry. The first, the first person to hear him explain clearly that he was the Messiah was the woman at the well. The first person to see him in his resurrected body was Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Jesus loved men and women equally and wonderfully. And so he was in this court of women where men and women both could hear him preach and teach. It's an interesting court in the temple. I want to show, it, show you something about it. If you look back at your screen for a moment, uh, you see here is a, uh, a, a view from up high of the temple and the, uh, the wall around the temple in the time of Christ. This is, would be called the Herod's Temple. And uh, those walls at, at their highest, those outside walls at their highest could be as high as 600 feet. And that, uh, that flat area that says court of Gentiles and so forth, that, that whole flat area is 36 acres. So this is, a, this is something big. 36 acres. And then the, court, the women's court is right there in that square. And it's over 200 feet wide, 200 feet long. It's a, it's a perfect square. Uh, if you, you know, a football field's 300 feet long and 160 feet wide. So it's almost the same square, uh, square footage as a football field. It's only it's perfectly square. And that was the women's court. Here's another picture of it. You can see it slightly better. If you lean into your computer or if you lean into your phone, you might be able to see some steps there too. Again, here it is in the black square. Those steps leading towards the holy place. There's 15 steps there. And... Uh, they're nine inches tall, each one. Now, something interesting, in John calls it the place of the treasury. And it was where the offering was taking place. It was here that Jesus was sitting next to where people were giving. And you remember the widow lady gave two mites, two pennies. And, uh, and he said she gave more than everybody. Jesus was watching what they gave. Well, this was where that would have taken place. And... There was 13, there was 13 treasure chests of offerings in this court area. They were shaped like a horn. Picture a horn, not a trumpet, but uh, you know, like a, uh, like a horn. You blow in the small end and the other end's big and maybe it's curved up. Picture, uh, picture a horn on top of a wooden box and the horns were made out of metal probably bronze, and, and when you threw your coins in, the big end of that horn, you could hear them rolling down. You could hear them hitting the metal and rolling down. So the people who gave the most made the most sound. And uh, the Pharisees liked it that way because they liked to make a big sound, you know, when they gave their offering. And it was 13 of them. Some of them were specific. Like one of them was for, to pay for the uh, incense. One of them was to pay for the wood for the offerings. 
and so on and so forth. And five of them were, had no designation. The offering just went to where it was most needed. So this is how the people gave. So it went into the horn, and then from the horn it went into that wooden treasure chest underneath it. I say all of that for one reason, because I find it interesting. But another reason is, when I show you the video in a few moments, if you'll look closely, you'll see those horns and those offering boxes. Uh, there was 13, you might see four, five, something like that in this scene. So that's where they were. That's where this takes place. Verse 2 said it was early in the morning. Jesus was sitting. Maybe he was sitting on those steps. We don't know. And the Pharisees and the scribes, verse 3, brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. Can you imagine how embarrassed she was? Drugged through the crowd by maybe a couple of Pharisees themselves, or maybe they had their police officers. You know, there were temple guards. Maybe it was even one of those same temple guards that had heard Jesus speak and the day before had said to his, his um, senders, his bosses, he said to them when they said, why didn't you arrest Jesus? He said, never a man spake like this man. There's something different. I just couldn't, we couldn't arrest him. And probably when he went home that night, he said, honey, you won't believe I heard a man speak today who said, if you're thirsty... You can come to me and drink. Never heard anybody talk like this man. Maybe that temple police was right there. Maybe he was the one bringing the woman under the instructions of the scribes and Pharisees. But they show her no mercy. And they bring her through a walk of shame. By the way, this was one of the most crowded places in all the temple, was this particular courtyard. By the way, I didn't say this earlier, but looking at that picture there, the, the, the big courtyard was the courtyard of the Gentiles. Josephus, the great historian, he said 75,000 people could gather in that courtyard. That's how big this place was. But now, now they're inside a smaller uh, room, uh, courtyard, the court of the women. So they bring her in, very crowded area, and they throw her at Jesus' feet. And uh, they say unto him, look at verse 4. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery, the very act. Now we know from verse 6 that they're doing this to tempt the Lord. They're trying to catch him so that they can discredit him. A lot of people do that today in the political arena, don't they? It's a sad and tragic thing to see. So they, were, they set up this trap. And, um, and so it makes you wonder, how did they catch this woman in the very act? That would be a difficult thing to do. And if you caught her in the very act, that means you caught the man too. Right? I mean, that just stands to read. You had to catch the man. If you caught her in the act, you caught the man in the act. But they didn't bring the man in. The law was clear that it was wrong for the man and for the woman, and both could be stoned to death. So it makes you wonder if maybe the Pharisees hadn't set this up to catch this woman so they could say she had been caught in the act, and they let the man go because the man was working for them. 
We don't know. That's a speculation. But the man's not there. Just the woman in her shame. And uh, then they say in verse 5, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have, uh, that they might accuse him. So here's their purpose. They say, the law says you should be stoned. Now, humanly speaking, Jesus is in quite a dilemma. He's between the proverbial rock and hard place. If he says, yes, the law says so, we should stone her. Then the people who are, have been listening to him talk about love and compassion and forgiveness would have, would have been uh, hurt and maybe turned back. But if he says, uh, no, let's don't stone her, then he is breaking the law. And the people who, uh, of course, believe the law, which was all of the Jews of that day, they would see him as a lawbreaker and disobedient to the law of Moses. So he was in a dilemma between the rock and the hard place. So verse 6, And they were tempting him that they might accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. This is a strange thing, isn't it? He stoops down and writes on the ground. There was enough dust apparently on the floor from people's sandals and so forth from the outer courts that he could, he could write in the dust. I have speculated, and you probably have too, wondered over the years, what did Jesus write? <laughs> Maybe when we get to heaven, he'll tell us what he wrote that day. Let me give you some thoughts of what he might have written. He might have written maybe the Ten Commandments. He might have just started writing the Ten Commandments with his finger. If you think about it, the Ten Commandments were written on stone on Mount Sinai by the finger of God. Here is Jesus writing with his finger in the dirt, the finger of God. By the way, it's the only time we, it's recorded for us that Jesus wrote anything. But here he did. He wrote. Writing the Ten Commandments, you know, he wrote, maybe he, he wrote, Thou shalt not steal, but thou, thou shalt honor thy mother and father. Thou shalt not covet. It says, the, the, the Ten Commandments say, You shall not covet your neighbor's uh, wife, nor your neighbor's house, nor your neighbor's donkey, nor his ox. I imagine the Pharisees being rich like they were and being elitist, that uh, they had problem with coveting other people's money and possessions. Maybe they looked at that and saw their own sin. Jeremiah 17, 13 says, For those who have forsaken the Lord, their name shall be written in the earth. <laughs> or on the ground. Could be translated in the dirt. Maybe he wrote the name 
names and put that reference out beside of some of those names of people standing in that crowd, the Pharisees whom he knew had forsaken their God. Maybe. Maybe it was more personal than that. Maybe he wrote a woman's name and a date beside it. One of those older rabbis, Pharisees, looked at that name and that date and remembered that he had had an affair when he was a younger man. Or maybe he wrote a woman's name and then wrote a man's name out beside it. One of those men standing in that crowd, some of those men looked down and saw their name. Whatever it was, it seems to have gone along with what he says in the next verse and the conviction that comes about on these religious leaders. Look at verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. Well, now they've been watching what Jesus is writing. He's writing about sin of some sort, maybe very personal. And, and so he said, the one without sin, let him cast the first stone. Go ahead and do it, stoner, if you're here without sin. Jesus was the only one in that courtyard without sin. And so from the oldest, they started walking away. Look at verse 8. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, maybe continuing what he had started to start with. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience of, of, of some sort of sin or wrongdoing, went out one by one, beginning with the eldest. You say, why did it begin with the, with the eldest? Well, because they had lived long enough to accumulate a lot of sin. But probably, too, they were a little wiser and knew they were guilty. And then it says, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Wow, what a scene. They were all fired up to stone somebody. But it wasn't her they wanted to stone so much. It was Jesus they wanted to stone. Even in this same chapter, before this chapter's over, they're going to take up stones to stone Jesus. It was really him they wanted to trap. But of course, in his omnipotence, omniscience, he was not to be outsmarted, of course. The creator of the universe. Verse 10. When Jesus had lifted himself up, he saw no one but the woman. And he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus saith unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. It's one thing when, a, when man condemns you, it's another thing when God condemns you. 
the judge of the universe. And Jesus has already said all judgment has been given unto him. And that he is the judge. Now and in the final judgment, he's the judge. So whether man condemns you or does not condemn you is not the issue. The issue is does God condemn you or not condemn you? In this case, he says, neither do I condemn you. She was, she was like Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Those who are in Christ are, are, uh, have, have no condemnation. She had no condemnation. Jesus had said it over in chapter uh, 3 and verse 17 and 18. Right after verse th- John 3, 16 and 17 it says, I came not into the world to condemn the world, but that people might be saved. And then in the next verse 18, he said, if you believe, you're not condemned. But if you don't believe, you're condemned already because you haven't believed on the name of the Son of God. He declares this woman has no condemnation. She is not condemned. Wow. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, he says the same thing about you. There is no condemnation in you. Because Jesus took our condemnation on Calvary's cross. And when he forgives, that is forever. And there is no condemnation. So he says unto her, I do not condemn thee. Now when did she believe? When did she believe that she might receive this forgiveness and statement of no condemnation? I think it took place when she said in verse 11... She said, no man, Lord. She called Jesus Lord. That's the Greek word, kurios. Kurios is the word, you remember the Subtuagent. The Subtuagent is the Old Testament translated into Greek. It was the common translation in the day of Jesus. And... um, The word kurios was the word, the Greek word, that translated the Hebrew word Jehovah. Wow. Now, the word could be, though it is rarely takes place in the the Bible. It could refer to a human master or Lord. Usually when the word master is used... Referring to Jesus, it means teacher. But that's not this word. This word is Lord. The word itself means owner, um, sovereign one. And so uh, she used this word, Lord, with him. As I said, it was the word for Jehovah translated such. You have to tell by the context whether it refers to an owner, sovereign one, or as it does on rare occasion, to someone, just a title of honor. But here in this context, we can see that she uses it the way it's used most every time in the New Testament to refer to him as God, the Lord of the Old and New Testament alike.
the Lord of heaven, the Lord of glory. So she calls him Lord. It's the exact same word that, that Paul used. Remember, Paul was on the way to road to Damascus to arrest and persecute Christians and maybe put them to death. When Jesus appeared to him and in a great shining light and Paul falls down and, and uh, Jesus speaks to him and, and uh, he says he's Jesus and, and then Paul says, uh, he calls him Lord, Lord. What would you have me to do? Same word, Lord. When he called him Lord, that was his confirmation. That was his profession of faith. That he knew everything Jesus had taught. Now he's saying, I believe you are who you say you are. And he called him Lord. Well, this woman had probably heard Jesus teach. Maybe had seen a few miracles. And knew that he claimed to be the Messiah. And not only that, he claimed to be God. And now she's face to face with him, and he has compassion and mercy on him, on her, and she calls him Lord. Paul would later write, if you, can, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now, the, the, uh, the raising from the dead has not occurred yet, but it will. She believed with what revelation she had and called him Lord. Her sins forgiven. What a beautiful moment. It was her sin and shame that brought her. Sometimes it's people's agony and pain that brings him, brings them to Christ, as it was in the case of David, the police officer. Now, you're going to see this scene. It's only about three minutes long. And in particular, I want you to watch for those golden trumpets. They're not, they probably were not pure gold, probably brass. Gold-colored trumpets where people put their money in. If you listen closely, you can even hear some of the money ringing as it goes down into the treasure chest. But the main thing is this great meeting with this woman... And the compassion Jesus gave her and the forgiveness. So as I say, it may have looked something like this. Let's watch it together. Then everyone went home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early the next morning, he went back to the temple. All the people gathered round him. He sat down and began to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught committing adultery, and they made her stand before them all. Teacher! This woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. In our law, Moses commanded that such a woman must be stoned to death. Now, what do you say? They said this to trap Jesus so that they could accuse him. But he bent over and wrote on the ground with his finger. As they stood there asking him questions, he straightened up.
Whichever one of you has committed no sin may throw the first stone at her. Then he bent over again and wrote on the ground. When they heard this, they all left, one by one, the older ones first. Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there. He straightened up. Where are they? Is there no one left to condemn you? No one, sir. Well then, I do not condemn you either. Jesus will go on to preach the sermon where he says he's the light of the world. He will tell the Pharisees that if they, not, if they do not believe that he is who he says he is, they will die in their sins, guilty of their sins, with condemnation, judgment hanging over them. They will die lost. The same is true as, of us, regardless of our how much we've sinned, we can have forgiveness. Sins washed away. Christ comes into our heart to be our best friend. Or we can say no like the Pharisees did. And we can die in our sins. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen to you. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and you would like to do so, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. A prayer just like David, the police officer, prayed online. The same kind of prayer. You can pray. It's not magic words. It's what's going on in your heart. You're expressing that with your words. You're believing on Christ. You're crowning Him as Lord of your life. If you've never received Christ as Lord and Savior, if you're not sure about that, pray with me right now and be sure you do not want to die in your sins. Pray this prayer. The Lord's listening. Say, Dear Lord Jesus. That's right. He's listening. Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned. I'm a sinner. And I need forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. And right now, I call on you to be my Lord and my Savior. You promised to come into my heart. I claim that promise. Forgive my sin and give me a home in heaven. I now belong to you. 
Now, if you prayed that prayer with me and you really meant it, I want you to claim God's promise. He says, if you call upon him, you shall be saved. He said, if you open the door, he said, I will come in. Claim that promise. You call, that means you're saved. You open, that means he came in. That means there's no more condemnation on you. Your sins have been forgiven. Claim that. We'd like to send you some literature. And if you would uh, mail us here at the church, or if you'll call the church and leave your name and number, we'll get back in touch with you. Or you can contact any of our staff if you'd like to do so. All that information is uh, online. And so uh, uh, we, we will continue to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you.